Welcome to Parenting Bites. This is Rebecca Levy of Kids Views. I'm here today with Amy Ozdan of Amy Ever After. Hi. Hello. And Andrea Smith, our technology guru extraordinaire. Hello. Hello. Um, today on the show, we it's just us. <laughs> Special treat. Uh, we are talking about an article in the Washington Post, which was, uh, I guess, an article about a Facebook post <laughs> that a mom had posted, um, which is about, well, I'll just read the title. A middle school requires kids to dance with anyone who asks. One mom is fighting for her daughter's right to say no. It is a fascinating article um, about balancing, like not wanting kids to be bullied versus making sure girls know they can say no and boys need to learn how to take rejection. So we're going to talk about that today because it sparked our interest. And then we will have our bites of the week. We'll be right back. We are back. Okay, ladies. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I I was the one who, who found this article and it pissed me off so much because, you know, you mentioned in the intro, Rebecca, trying to find a balance between those two things, between kids not being rejected and girls being able to say no. And it seems like this school and this principal is not trying to find that balance at all. Like they made no effort to consider the girl's ability to say no. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, let's backtrack a little and talk about what happened. So first of all, we're talking about an 11-year-old. So we should talk, right? This is middle school. Mm -hmm. um, it was a Valentine's Day dance. And there had already been two other dances that year. So this was like a new rule for this dance, I guess. Um, and she had to share a slow dance with a boy who made her feel uncomfortable. Like she already didn't like this boy and not just like, I don't like him, but like there was something about him that made her uncomfortable. And she tried to decline the invitation when he asked and the school's principal came over and told her that no was against school rules, which is to me the, the almost the worst part of it. My head is on fire right now. I know. So the mom posted about her daughter's experience on Facebook and a totally crazy discussion that was probably good, you know, unfolded about, you know, the balance between a kid's autonomy and then encouraging kindness. And this whole idea about rape culture and that maybe one of the most important things about rape culture is that boys need to understand how to handle rejection and respect boundaries, right? Like that is one of the big problems in rape culture. And the fact that this principle really s stood his ground, right? Like this was all about, no, this is how it should be. Oh, he suggested that she just not send her daughter to school on yeah. days when there were dances. Right, that her daughter missed the dance. But I do, I do feel like, you know, on the one hand, we know middle school is just so weird, right? Like it's such an awkward age anyway. So, I mean, you're still trying to figure out who you are, even at that stage, like, you know, some girls don't even like boys. So I feel like there has to be a balance. Yes. But at the same time, like maybe say, hey, we're teaching kindness, which I think is a wonderful thing to do in middle school and not bully and be nice to people. But maybe say you have to sit with them at lunch. You know, like if someone comes over to your lunch table, you can't say no. Not necessarily where where a boy has to put his hands on you and slow dance. Yeah. Yes. 
And also the, the principal tried to make it sound like, well, you know, this is part of the curriculum, learning different dances. And when I was in seventh and eighth grade in a public school in Buffalo, our awesome gym teacher, who I'm still Facebook friends with, um, we did that too. We did it with square dancing. It was part of the curriculum. You had to dance with boys. But we were just lined up and you danced with whoever was across from you. And I don't know if it was like random or alphabetical, but there wasn't this added pressure of having to be chosen or to choose somebody. And so I, I just don't think that that's a valid excuse. Like if you're doing it for the dances, there's a much better way to do it. Yeah. You yeah. know, um, my daughter's school has ballroom dancing in fourth grade, their elementary school. And it's the same thing, Amy. Like, I think they lined them up in size order, actually, boys and girls. And that's how they were matched because they were ballroom dancing. Makes sense. And the vice, the, the assistant principal of their school always said that that program did more to prevent bullying than any other bully prevention program they brought in because the kids had to work together. They had a common goal. Everyone was randomly assigned. Everyone kind of took it pretty seriously. Like they had a big performance at the end and it was very collaborative and it was grade wide. And in that context, you can see that, right? Like they're all in it together. A school dance is a different thing. And so to try to impose that at a school dance, which is such a more social event where they're learning kind of how to be social together, um, without their parents there, you know, without that kind of set curriculum. And one of the things, the, you know, the principal said is that, well, if we don't do this, then the boys will be on one side of the gym and the girls will be on the other and they'll just jump around or chat in clusters until it ends. And everyone's like, what's wrong with that? Like, that's how middle school dances are all the time. Right. And the people who want to dance, dance. And the people who didn't, didn't. Like, why does everyone have to be forced into this idea as if we're living in like the 1800s where you have your dance card that needs to be filled. You know, don't you always remember watching those movies where like the girls get their dance cards at the beginning right. when they go to the ball and or the country dance or whatever it is. And they had look at their dance card and that's exactly what happened. They would see that they already had this list of men they had to dance with well but i, I, I think was it's so even weird. different that if there's like so, a man that you have to like build a robot with or that you have to have lunch with or you do something else i think there's such a, a like a personal space thing mm -hmm. going on here to say to someone when someone is in your personal space is slow dancing with you you can't say no and you know there are reasons that sometimes girls are either shy or they just find a guy kind of creepy even even if he may not be but to teach boys that girls have to say yes is like, you know, the antithesis of what you want to be teaching them at that age. Well, what I think is interesting, too, is why have slow dancing at all? They're 11. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, why, like, like why does that happen? dancing. Yeah. Or just do music, like just play pop and rock and let the kids bop around. Like, why does it have to then don't have slow dances? Like it's, I always found it a little creepy, even at bar mitzvahs and stuff that like all the adults would stand around watching the kids slow dance. Like, I don't know. There was always something, something gross about it. And I just think like, you don't need, I don't think we didn't have any slow dances at my kids bar mitzvah. Like it was just party, 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 party. Um, so I don't know why at a middle school dance, you need to like intersperse slow dancing. It's so weird. Just this whole idea that it's more important for the boys not to feel rejected 
than it is to teach them how to take rejection is, I mean, that's, that's the entire problem going on in and the country. And to teach girls that it's okay to say no, maybe politely, you know, maybe there's a way to teach girls, you know, I, I think what the principal is trying to do is make it so that people don't feel rejected. I get that. So maybe you can teach girls to just say, no, thank you, not now or whatever, without having to, you know, force yourself to do something that you just don't want to do. Because Or how that, about you say to them, how about the next up? dance when it's not a slow dance? Like, right, right, like, can't you, like, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, or, or not. I actually think girls should just be able to say no, because, you know, so when this article came out, I know I sent you guys another article, which was what to say to your daughter about campus sexual assault, which you'd think would be a very different article than this. <laughs> but actually, the entire article was about sexual assault training that works. And they said, oh, it's like 95% of sexual assault training focuses on girls telling them like not to drink, not to do this, be in pairs, but like all the things that like we've probably repeated thinking like that's good advice. Um, and it said, instead of focusing on men <laughs> and not just no is no, but how to handle rejection. Mm -hmm. It was the core to preventing sexual assault. And when I thought that was so fascinating because they said making sure that women felt like they didn't have to say yes or they didn't have to make an accommodation to help a man feel better about, you know, what he was doing. Like, oh, no, that's OK. You know, so it was out, it was about resisting coercion, which was so interesting to me because they said even then if sexual assault happened, women didn't blame themselves. They mm. didn't have that mentality. They didn't feel like they could have done something different. It was different. Like they they actually knew that they were resisting coercion. They were doing what they needed to do. And they said the most important thing was for men to learn rejection. And so, you know, instead of teaching kindness, which is certainly something you need to teach, but like there seems like a more important lesson is to teach boys to be okay with someone saying no. Like yeah. that's, you know, not to get angry or shame or have that turn into rage or whatever, because that is what propels sexual assault. Um, and the time to learn that is 11. Oh, yeah. The time to learn that is five. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you know, it's it is a hard balance. I will say one of my daughters had horrible kindergarten teachers um, and they would have free time during the day and they had all these stations set up in the room and they would just let the kids pick what station they wanted to go to. OK, so one was blocks. One was Lego. One was like sitting at the table drawing, um, you know, and one was like quiet reading. Well, guess what happened? All the boys were at blocks and Legos and all the girls were at drawing or quiet reading or pretend play, whatever it was, you know. And my daughter wanted to do Legos. And it was her and all boys. And the boys were really mean to her. Like, you should be over there. And then the girls were really mean to her because she wasn't drawing with them or doing pretend play. So she was stuck in this in between. And I remember having a conversation with the teacher and saying, why don't you assign them <laughs> to the stations and let them rotate? They're five. Like, let, instead of letting them split along gender lines like this at five, because that's what they're self-selecting, right? Like, make the boys draw <laughs> sometimes 
and do pretend play. Like just, you know, just say you're assigned groups and rotate them through so the kids experience everything and you don't have this weird, rigid classroom. And they were like, oh, it's important for the kids to feel like their choices, you know, whatever. Um, but I remember it was a really bad situation because it reinforced these weird gender norms. Um, and, and the girls aren't going to discover that maybe they love the blocks and the Legos and the boys right. aren't going to discover that, oh, hey, reading is fun and I'm ac actually good at drawing. Right. And so the boys, let's say they wanted to draw, were too scared that they'd be told that's for girls, mm -hmm. right? Or you can't be here. And my daughter who wanted to do Legos was told like, you can't be here because you're a girl. Um, and so I, I think about like, that's when the kindness thing should start, <laughs> you know, that like, we should all play together in different things. We should all like, I understand those or like mix up tables at like, Andrew, like you were even saying at lunch, like assign tables at lunch so that kids mix it up right early on. Right. Right. Or just, you know, there, and it, that would even help girls, right? Like how right. many times have you seen the whole mean girl thing, you know, where, the new kid at school or whoever wants to go sit somewhere and the mean girls are like, no, you can't sit here. I mean, assign tables, make people talk to each other, make them at least, you know, sit next to each other and not have to get a cootie shot. There, There's just other ways to do this without saying it's okay to let a boy be that close to you and you don't want it. And of course, at that age, there are other ways to encourage this. Like, you know, the whole thing of not making your kids hug relatives um, oh, yeah. or give them a kiss of, you know, when a kid comes over and says, I want to play with that truck, you don't tell the kid who has the truck, oh, you have to share. No, you teach the other kid that they need to wait their turn. You know, there, there are all these ways that we teach little kids to give up their autonomy and to not say no that are really damaging. Particularly girls. Yes. People expect girls to be much more pliant. Um, and, you know, and then, and then when they get rewarded for it, right? Like, oh, that was so nice of you to give that up, that thing you really liked, you know? Right. Or to give creepy Uncle Henry a hug. Right. Right. <laughs> oh, my God. And my mom used to have a friend who, who used to say, sock it to me, like, and put her cheek out and it was like oh it was like oh. it just I'll never like it stuck with me my whole life because <laughs> I didn't want to kiss her you know like, well you know now with not. coronavirus and they're saying everybody should do fist bumps or elbow bumps maybe we should <laughs> just right. teach kids to do elbow bumps that's what they do in nursery <laughs> that actually is what they do in preschool and kindergarten because they all spread so many germs yeah <laughs> just well, teach your kids to say that. no thank you it's flu season right <laughs> did you yeah. wash your hands Exactly. I don't know. It is I sometimes I think about how ingrained these things are, you know, in our culture, this, this idea of, um, I don't know, just this wrapped up idea that being kind also means kind of giving up your own um, autonomy. Yeah. And that how it's such a messed up concept that really just girls and women are taught. Um, but it's really insidious. Like it's really ingrained because yeah. you don't want to be the not nice girl, you know, like then that's not good. Like, oh, you were the bitch. Well, and, but like, especially made that boy today feel bad. with the whole Me Too movement yeah. and, the, and the Weinstein case, I mean, girls have to know that it's okay to say no. If something makes them feel uncomfortable, they need to be told it's okay to say no. 
Well, I mean, the Weinstein case brings it to such another level because, you know, then your career is at risk. But at school, like, you know, nothing should be at risk. And I think that parents need to call it out when they see that one group's comfort is being valued over another group's autonomy and strength and just continue to call it out. So I really applaud yeah. that, Mom. Yeah, yeah, me too. I do too. I would I would love to hear what um, our listeners here uh, think about it. You know, there there's a lot of different takes, whether you have a boy or a girl or, you know, what how you teach your kids to be kind. But I think there's a way to be kind without taking away someone's autonomy. Yep. Yeah. There has to be a balance. All right. With that, we will be right back with our Bites of the Week. We are back with our Bites of the Week. Amy, what do you have? All right. So if uh, anybody else out there has a teenage daughter like mine who, you know, works for her money, she does a lot of babysitting and then spends it on more expensive clothes than I have, um, they also resell them. Like my daughter has this whole economy going of like buying expensive clothes, wearing them for six months and then reselling them. And she had been selling them on Poshmark and she didn't like how it was going. And she started using an app called Depop, which I had never heard of. Because you old. Because I'm old. And I, <laughs> I got an eye roll at dinner last night. Like, uh, of course you haven't heard of it. That's where the teenagers are. <laughs> so, you know, she's probably worried that I'm going to ruin it like we're ruining TikTok. Um, but I'm not going to go on there. I just downloaded the app to check it out. And it seems like a good deal. Like, um, you know, it's very influencer based, like you can follow different people and it's kind of social and Depop takes a 10% fee off of the price that you're selling for. And you have to have a PayPal account. And then of course you pay the PayPal transaction. Um, but that's it. And then, you know, you keep the rest. So she's doing well in it. And um, if your kid has some nice clothes to get rid of, sounds like a good thing to check out. It's called D-E-P-O-P, and it's available on iPhone and Android. Does she set the price of what she's selling or do they help suggest a price or how does, do you know how it works? I haven't gone into it very much. I just looked at like fact pages and stuff. Um, I'm sure that there are guides that can help you price it right, but I think it's just up to you. Yeah, Depop is also, it's very much streetwear mm -hmm. and very trendy clothes. It's not, it's really not anyone older than like 30, <laughs> probably 25. Yeah, like I couldn't get on here and sell things if I tried. I have literally nothing yeah. in my closet yeah, that, yeah. that anyone would buy on this site. <laughs> you mean they don't, they don't want my business suits? <laughs> no, it's, it's definitely not. Um, all right, Andrea, what do you have? <laughs> All right, so you guys are both going to laugh, given the kind of audio issues we had setting up today's podcast. I had some issues with all of a sudden my uh, microphone and headphone mysteriously changing settings in my computer till we got it right. But my bite of the week is back to the Blue Yeti microphones, um, because you may know that I use a Yeti Nano, which I absolutely adore. It has, until today, worked seamlessly, flawlessly, <laughs> and perfectly. And Amy always says that my sound is usually the best. Totally true. So um, I got, the nice people at Blue sent me the next level of this, which is called the Yeti X. It's the Professional Condenser USB Microphone. It is um, very similar in look and design to the Nano that I currently have and, and think is adorable. This is much bigger. It's that retro microphone design. 
It's not plasticky. It's got a beautiful look and feel. Their mics look so good. They, they do. And I didn't try it today, um, which maybe I should have, <laughs> but I didn't have a chance to kind of play with it yet. Um, but basically the difference between the Nano and the X um, is that it's got four different, I think it's four different recording options. It's the front only it's the, uh, which they call cardioid. It's the omnidirectional, bidirectional stereo. So it's not just for podcasting. I think it's great for podcasting and stereo recording. But, you know, a lot of people are really into online gaming and Twitch. Um, and they want really good sounding microphones. So it works with uh, Mac. It works with PC. It works with PlayStation. It works with Xbox. It's plug and play, although it does have a companion um, app and software today I had to actually go into the software and play with it a little bit um it's really easy uh this the new one has where you can see your led metering and your pickup patterns and change your microphones so I'm really excited to start playing with it and we're going to see how it sounds and the really good news is that this week I think we're all getting together for lunch mm -hmm. and I'm going to pack up my Yeti Nano and bring it to Rebecca <gasps> for a present Yay. oh that makes me so happy as the person so, who watches Rebecca's microphone line go into the red <laughs> whenever she laughs or talks loud so Rebecca's getting the Yeti Nano which um, by the way for anyone interested is about $99 I'm upgrading to the Yeti X which is $169 uh, and just a little more sophisticated in its abilities and editing functionality and we're all going to sound awesome Yay. Sounds good. Sounds like a plan. All right. Um, my bite this week is in honor of coronavirus. <laughs> um, so there are obviously a bazillion articles about stocking up and what to do and blah, blah, blah. Um, and all I cared about was the food. So <laughs> the best article I found on like realistically what you should be buying to stock up in your kitchen is from Epicurious, which is called, it's called How to Stock Your Kitchen for the Coronavirus Era and Other Emergencies. So oh my I am, God. <laughs> I am going to start by saying, as someone who lived through 9-11, downtown New York City, and then the blackout when my children were one, um, I always have food on hand. Like I, I am not a person who gets down to like cupboard zero. Um, for a long time, we always had like bottled water and all that stuff too. And then we had the bottled water was in our cabinets for so long, it like disintegrated and mm -hmm. we thought we had a kitchen leak, but we actually just had exploding water. So I'm less Wait, likely to water keep... explodes. Well, the, the plastic breaks down. Yeah. The plastic oh my God. bottle. And we literally thought our neighbor's kitchen was leaking into ours, but no, <laughs> it was Poland <laughs> spring disintegrating in our kitchen. Um, so this article um, is I, I like because it's either does a three day, which is on the low end preparedness. Um, and then most people are saying like do two weeks. But she was saying in this article, which is why I liked her, is like two weeks is a lot of food for people who don't live in a house. Like if you don't have a garage to stick things in or a basement or whatever. Um, and also for a lot of people, financially, two weeks of food is very difficult um, if you don't have that kind of cash on hand to just buy two weeks of food. 
So this is a great article. One of the things she reminds you is to have a manual can opener in your house. Mm-hmm. If you have an electric can opener and you lose power, guess what? You're not opening your cans. Yeah, you're going to be that guy in the piano staring at the giant can of zucchini. <laughs> right. um, so they go through a whole thing of like, you know, all the things to get canned and with some ideas because it's epicurious. Um, but one of the points they make is that you don't want to get bored if you are kind of stuck for two weeks eating the same thing. So they also include things like uh, canned coconut milk and, and like broths. Um, they also talk about like if you have people in your house who like jerky or uh, shelf-stable smoked fish. Obviously, if you have kids or people who drink milk, shelf-stable milk, um, which is something I always had in my kitchen when my kids were little. After the blackout, I was like totally freaked out about not having any milk. But also having things like dried fruit, granola bars, um, cooking oils, like olive oil, things that you're going to use anyway. Um, so that if you're, you know, if you don't have a thing where you're quarantined, you can also start to use your stuff. But one of the things they say is have this stuff in your pantry and don't touch it. Like, let yourself go at least a month. Like, don't start pulling like, well, I do have that pasta and I do have that rice. Like, this should actually be your emergency stash and just know when your expiration dates are, which are probably a couple years and then start to use stuff. But always start with your fridge and fresh first when you're eating um, because you just don't know if you're going to need your backup stuff. So it was great. I mean, had things about what you could have in your freezer, you know, ideas, um, obviously having a lot of coffee or tea. If you drink tea, like people forget about that stuff, but also having things like Pedialyte um, or Gatorade. So if someone becomes sick, you have the electrolyte solutions um, and obviously having things like Advil, um, hand soap, dish soap, toilet paper toilet paper unless you have the unless Japanese toilet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually posted on Facebook the other day that when my toilet paper runs out, which one of you guys am I going to stay with? Because I'm the only one of us without one of those fancy toilets. Come it's on so over. Funny. Um, you know, Rebecca, I often stash, it's funny you say that because I do often stash granola bars, you know, or um, dried fruit kind of thing. And then I'll say, Oh, God, it's bad. I really need to like rotate this. And I go to look at it and it's expired. And it tastes like crap. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I actually don't agree really, with Epicurious. Yeah, about, I'm not sure about that. About I, dried I feel fruit like, and stuff? Well, no, I feel about like not you're gonna really it. need uh, you're really gonna need to diary in your calendar once a year to rotate it. Well, or um, one of the things you can do is take a Sharpie and just write the expiration date on the front. So if you have a bag of, you know, you'll see the teeny tiny expression date, but like, you know, bright and big Sharpie on the front of the package of raisins, like, you know, 9 2020. You know what I mean? Right, but then you can't put it, you can't just put it in a box and stash it in your garage because you're going to forget about it. And then when you need it, it's all going to be gross. This was definitely talking about a pantry. Like their point was not to put a month's worth of food in your garage. Um, They were sort of like, that's crazy. And you really don't need that. Um, like that would be very extreme. Or if you lived in a very rural area where maybe like driving to a store would be impossible. This was actually made for, I think, people with more like an apartment kitchen um, or just a smaller kitchen. Because they were even saying like, you know, put a bunch, put frozen bread in the freezer, put, you know, if you have herbs that are going bad, like make a bunch of pesto or sauces and just freeze it. Like they were talking about a lot of stuff like that, just so you had stuff on hand. Mm -hmm. If you couldn't go to the grocery store for two weeks, 
not if there's an epidemic and there's zombies coming, you know? Um, but I think also like there were people going out and buying those weird, like doomsday prepared meals, like, ew, like the zombies aren't coming. And, you know, even after nine 11, like you couldn't have been more disruptive living in New York. Right. For me, my lessons were, I have a phone that plugs in mm-hmm. and, you know, have a backup cell phone charger battery going, you know, like have a power pack charging. Um, you know, there are different things for people who live in different areas, like people who live in hurricane places, people who live where there's really bad winter storms. Like there's people have a level of preparedness already, um, depending on where they live for what they encounter normally. I think this is a weird one because for people who live in cities who are so dependent on delivery, the I mean, every New Yorker I know is like, yeah, if I'm quarantined for two weeks, I order in food. <laughs> well, if the delivery people can't go to work because they're sick. And the supply lines are disrupted. And there's no food on the shelves. Exactly. And the city says no deliveries except for essential things, right? If they shut down restaurant delivery because it's spreading it. If they, I mean, I saw a delivery guy yesterday hacking up a lung delivering pizza when I was out walking my dog. And I was like, oh, no, I don't wouldn't want that pizza. Like, what the hell? But so if they start doing all of that, I think that's when you start to think about, okay, like, this is going to be different um, because you don't want to spread it. Um, But anyway, this was just a level of preparedness that I thought was um, very different than people just saying, buy a ton of rice, a ton of pasta and lots of beans. Because, like, there are a lot of people who, like, that's just a weird it's not even how people eat. <laughs> but if you really thought of two weeks of that, you might like lose your mind. Um, so anyway, that is my bite. And buy yourself some coconut milk so you can <laughs> so you can judge it up if you're stuck in your house for two weeks. Um, with that, that is our show for today. You can find us everywhere, every single podcast app. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share. Um, as always, you can find links to everything we talked about at fa- parentingbites.com and on facebook.com slash parentingbites. Please leave us questions, ideas. Um, what you're stocking up on. Yeah, let us know what, you, what your necessity was. Um, really, someone said to me, don't forget tampons. I was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Cat and dog food. <laughs> Cat and dog food. A lot of people were putting wine on that list <laughs> or other forms of alcohol. Um, so yeah, let us know. And until next week, happy parenting. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Hey, this is our Parenting Bites disclaimer. Everything we talk about on the show is our own opinion. Any products we recommend, it's our own personal recommendation for entertainment purposes only. If you buy something through our affiliate links or you just happen to buy or see or read or watch something that we recommended, it's at your own risk.